Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we've got a flashback for you. We are going back about three and a half years to our episode on Carrie, which was the first episode of our former season. Wow. Adaptations of Stephen King movies. This is the very first one. So we talked about it first. Uh, we're going to talk about it in the... Oh, first, welcome to March. This is March. Hi, everybody. It's March. Hi. It's from March. Uh, wherein we have a back-to-back Spielberg and a back-to-back repeat situation. Mm. So it's a little bit of a weird one this month, but it'll be good. There are five episodes this month. You'll we get like five weird. episodes. You haven't heard these episodes in a hot minute, so join us as you we go back in time. So, we talked about Carrie in the context of a Stephen King film, a Brian De Palma film, uh, and sort of one of the first, like, end-of-scene jump-scare right. things. So, like, just the final scene of this movie, hey, spoiler alert for spoiler alerts, there is a jump-scare at the end of this movie that is one of the very first of its kind. Mm-hmm. Which I think might be what put like cements this movie onto the AFI thrill list. Uh, what do you think? I think the film is thrilling all the way along. That's true. And I was uh, watching some material today, something I didn't do the first time, because I was going into it trying to remember the film really well. Yeah, we um, did not. We're not doing rewatches on these uh, again. Mm. At least we haven't been. <laughs> we may in the future, but right now we're just thinking back to our recollections. Right. It's nearly 50 years now. Yes. Uh, that this film has been released, and it did introduce that end credit jump scare thing that that um, everyone admits is kind of a cheap shot, but boy, did it work. It worked super good, and yeah. the fact that it was a dream is kind of a cheap shot in a cheap shot. Right. like. Oh, but Alice, we are Alice in Wonderland it afterwards. <laughs> but yeah, reading about particularly the working of the cast and Sissy Spacek, whose husband worked on this film and got her the job. Um, and I, maybe I can post that in the, the latecomers um, for this week because it's a really interesting interview with Piper Laurie and with some of the other actors who participate, Betty Buckley. Um, and it was, yeah, the amount of care that these actors were given to go into this film and that they were, they were in a kind of a, they were allowed to sort of basically run rampant for a week. Uh, William Catt and Nancy Allen and the rest of them, PJ Souls. And they were told, um, most of these were people who George Lucas had called in to cast for Star Wars. John Travolta too, or was he sort of too No, no, cool he, he was, even at the time. Okay. Um, they just basically so originally a lot of them were supposed to were being cast because George Lucas held this alongside Star Wars, and so they uh, that you hear stories from Nancy Allen going. So there was George and there was um, Brian De Palma and they're sitting there watching us, and George would say, "No, no, not for me." And Brian would go, "But I think I can use her." And you're like, "Wait, use you for what? What are you? What are you going to be up to?" That's that's kind of even more creepy knowing that mm-hmm. on in the day of the shower scene, De Palma invited. Right. Like, wasn't Spielberg one of the people yeah, that he invited? Yes, because that's where he met Amy Irving. Woof, woof. And um, <laughs> guys, and, we talked about. Yes. I think we talked about this in the in the episode, but there is lore that on the days that they were filming the opening scenes here, mm-hmm. which I don't know if they filmed in order. 
Right. I don't know if it was early in the filming or late in the filming. Guess what? It doesn't matter. He invited his creepy... Creepy, creepy friends. His creepy director friends to come watch these girls in the showers. I watched... And there is straight right. nudity in I this I watched scene. this film. I mean, I was listening to these uh, people recounting this, these instances of uh, when they were asked to do this. And it was very plainly written in the script. There will be nudity in this film. Yeah. And the film, this scene is going to be done, as Amy Irving said later on, it's an erotic scene. It is. She's there. This is the only time she's away from her mother. She's kind of exploring her body, and then she winds up bleeding. And Which, guess what? Also, here, mm. just real quick, as a, as a, as a woman who right. had a trying home life and did have to shower in class, right. in, in P.E., no, the fuck it isn't. Well, no, it isn't. You're, there's nothing erotic about having to shower this, and mass. Okay. So, <laughs> she's also separate from the rest of the girls, if you remember. Everyone's she left is, over, that's so true. So she's to herself. And the the idea that her husband, you know, when she turns to Sissy Spacek, who is not the first choice for this part, but she ran away with the interviews. And everyone was like, no, she has to have it. And she isn't... I believe in the book... Carrie is heavy, mm-hmm. which Sissy Spacek could never be mistaken for. Right. Like, she is not a fat person and has never been right. and probably will never I be. Think I don't in think some it's ways, it's better this way, though, because part of the struggle of the book is her losing weight and going on a diet and doing these things that are very typical for teenage girls. Yes. And it's, I don't know that we needed the representation for that. She was, she was supposed to start as an ugly duckling, and we don't need to put that on... Yeah, just you're right. fat, so you're ugly, right? Right, exactly. So I think it almost worked better in like, this respect. There's a there's a comic uh, reel going around that's mm-hmm. like, um, it's a fat woman, fat woman comic, and she's like, it's um, something like, I'm fat, and then people will say in the audience, but you're pretty, and she's like, I know. We've all seen ugly skinny girls. Right. Don't play with me. Like, <laughs> like one does not equate to the other. Shut up. Well, um, but yeah, yeah, it's probably good. She could have had worse skin. That's another another thing that Stephen King tends to do to his she his uh, right. his his sort of ugly duckling protagonist or antagonist. Bad skin. Bad skin's a a pretty common thing. When I watched the opening scene of the film again this time, uh, for reviewing this material i was i looked at it with a different eye basically this time going all right this is her personal story and i know it was creepy and it was weird and it was bizarre i don't like the opening for that film quite so much or it's not quite the opening uh the opening starts on a volleyball court as amy irving is so fond of reminding you in this yes interview process no it did not start in a shower it started it started and then on she went on court. to just yeah. sort of like Say, well, you know, horror films are often about people's bodies being ripped apart. So Specifically, goes, women's bodies. Right. So she yeah. goes, I did not feel bad about being in this part in the film. Yeah. Mind you, she goes, I'm also saying that as a person who got to stand at the locker door because some of the girls were more dressed than others. And they kind of... That's true. ...formed a conspiracy about who's going to... Some were completely willing to get naked and that's not a big issue. Yeah. And some weren't, but... um. Interesting. So they were able to sort of... Right, they had some autonomy. And this is well before there were things like intimacy coaches, which would be brought in for a situation like this. It's not just the sex scene. It's really any time you are 
uh, sort of asked to wear wear or do wear less or do more than a uh, typical job would require. But uh, PJ Souls talked about who's the girl in the red hat. That was yes. her whole persona. She wore the red Forever, hat in yeah. Halloween. Yeah. She wore the red hat in Rock and Roll High School. That was just her thing. Um, but she goes, there was a horrible moment when we all felt like. He was, uh, he, uh, Brian De Palma was getting them to improvise that scene. What you say to this girl who's coming up to you for help. And she, he, it like pulled stuff out of them that they weren't prepared to deal with. Yeah. Because guess what? That, Women, we're, right. we are monsters. Specifically, White women. But white the, women are monstrous towards each other and others. We but, are, we can be terrible. So that scene went very, from being this sort of gauzy, erotic, whatever scene, to being a really horrifying scene where she's wandering around begging for help and, yeah. It, and then a teacher literally slaps her in the face. <laughs> like, you're just like, what is it? By the way, she said at the time was like 25 or 26 years old. Yeah. She was the same age as some of the students. Yes. Yeah. Which I find hysterical. Yeah. But she was already in a position to where De Palma kept using her to talk to the girls. And so, it, but that was a good idea also for them because then they stopped looking at her as an equal. I guess so. Look at her, her like, like right. your teacher. Yeah. No, that is good because, yeah, you do want to kind of establish a hierarchy if it's getting. Right. You know, yeah, there's a lot of interesting dicey. things, and, and as I said, I'll, I'll include the documentary uh, on yeah. our Facebook Yeah, send me page. a link, and we'll go ahead and put yeah, it up. Yeah, because it was very interesting, and I got to see the... I almost want to see the film again, just going, okay, now that I know this, especially... It's a quick watch. It's 98 minutes. Piper Laurie, good Lord. She's incredible. And that I was mean, what the monster. is. He'll, he'll go on and complain about the actresses who did this, and complain about how they pushed back, but he has... He's nearly... He seems to almost be frightened of Piper Laurie, like... Where did that come from, that performance? That was amazing. And to think that here's a woman who would, every once in a while, peep her head out into mainstream filmmaking and then immediately get nominated for an Academy Award. And yeah. that's basically her career. That's really funny. Um, yeah, and then, uh, you know, we, we go on to see Sissy's basic... Um, you know, win Oscars and then come back and do as almost like an homage to her beginning selves, the uh, later seasons of, um, what's the name of that show? Uh, Castle Rock? Yeah. Which is a nice, nice little thing. Yeah, no, this movie, and not in no small part thanks to its music. Its music right. is um, nerve-wracking. It's it, there's a lot of strings. There's a lot of yeah. This is a uh, that's it just puts regular you on edge. Writer, <laughs> yeah, music musician rather, and he has a relationship sort of like what Bernardo Herman had to Hitchcock, okay, or what Morricone has to Sergio Leone. It's where it's become. Oh, I'm thinking of that movie. I'm thinking of this music as part of that presentation. Yeah, along with the cinematography and everything, it all comes together. Plus, this kind of comes along with you know. Stephen King is, if not the quintessential American author, mm -hmm. a quintessential American author, and I would say that probably, even that as that stands true, and he he you know he's on the bestseller list with right. every single book that he writes, 
more people have seen this movie than have read this book. Yeah. Which I saw the movie well before something. I read the book. Right. And have, you have read the book. I have read the book. It's, I think the movie has the advantage of not being epistolary. There is that. Which, I like an epistolary novel. I like it, novel. but it, it, it tends to break up the... You could not screw up the suspense the way you do in this film. That is true. Yeah. If you're just sort of taking a break and switching points of view or something like that. So yeah. that was the issue I had with House of Leaves, which I really, it's like, no, this is the story I want to read. Stop House of Leaves is tricky. I kind of wish you could get it in three parts when right. you could just read. I just want to read the Davidson record. I right. don't want to read any of, I don't care about any of the other stuff, but we're getting off track. And also House of Leaves is the creepiest book I've ever read mm-hmm. in my life. So if that's what you're looking for. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so he. Uh, without further ado, here is the episode, uh, 1976's Carrie. Next week we're going to discuss 1998's Saving Private Ryan. It's going to be another sort of flashback episode. And we will see you then. And welcome back to the Late Comers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. Are you sure? I'm. Sh- I had to think about it for a second. It like, seems like flood my line. It's terrible. All right. Well, I'm Simplest Amity. I'm You're Lemuel. Lemuel. Right. Okay. And we are going to dive into our the meat of our season five Stephen King adaptations. King on screen. Dun, dun, dun. King of the screen. Mm. No. <laughs> no. I thought Gugino was king of the screen. Uh, king of the monsters. Mm, same. <laughs> so before we get started with this week's uh, movie, mm-hmm. it was a movie this week. Yeah. How was your week? My week was actually kind of fun but exhausting. Fun but exhausting. Exhausting, yes. I I was doing yard work today, and I learned how to use a swing blade, sling blade. Sling blade. Which actually is like a swing blade, because you're just sort of swinging back and forth, back and forth, back It's another word for it, actually. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I feel silly now. But yes. I was in bed while you were doing that, so I appreciate it. Well, yes. The, the hard work. It's it, Actually, I might have done nothing and just sort of rolled around the grass and flattened it and Maybe. just gave the impression that I'd worked. Yes. Our lawn is at yes. maximum capacity. Yes, it is. It is fact. as tall as me. We have... Well, not quite, but like five feet We can tall. easily lose one of our roommates. Yes, Stephanie would so. disappear we into it. Don't see the top of her head, just grass everywhere. Just grass. So we had to do something about that, and by we, mm. I mean you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, all right, you want to get started? I want to get started. I'm very, um, I'm really excited about this particular uh, season, because I feel like I have lots of positive contributions to make. Because it's your wheelhouse. Right. Oh, and, and also there is no um, Balthar or whatever his name is. Baltar. Baltar. I keep forgetting his name. There will be people like him. Don't okay. worry. Oh, no. The, there uh, are the, problematic they're, they're dudes up. in the Stephen King universe. Speaking of problematic, maybe that's something we should address too when we're going into this. This is a film made by Brian De Palma, mm-hmm. who's a very problematic director. Yeah, and we'll get into some of that. Right. You said something very funny in the first scene, so... So let's do a big overview, and then we can kind of get into okay. the meat of it. We're not going to do typical recaps the way no, that we've done before, because right. A, some of the things are very long, and B, a lot of these are things that people 
They're very familiar no. now, right. So we're going to talk about them more in the way that, like, a how did this get made talks about uh-huh. things, which is, we'll talk about specific scenes, we'll talk about um, arcs and things like mm-hmm. that, but we're not going to go beat by beat. The thrust of this whole book is The Power of the Period. No. <laughs> That's the subtitle. Carrie, or The Power of the Period. Well, in this case, it's like an exclamation point. So we'll start with the book. Carrie, uh-huh. the book, was written, published in 1974. It was his first book that uh, Stephen King published, but not the first book that he completed. It's actually the fourth book that he completed. It's the first thing to get optioned as a film. Mm-hmm. Um, well, This film was released in 1976, as you said, directed by Brian De Palma. Uh, he got a $2,500 advance. Oh, so, there you go. Me in the heart. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's a small amount of money. I mean, not in 1976, and well, for a school okay, teacher. Compared to the amount of money that was made from this film, well, it's a tiny amount. That's not what he got for. That's what he got for publishing. The okay, book. I thought this was like the film. No, no, no. Options. That's no, 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 no. This is what Scribner gave him for publishing the book. Sorry. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I particularly like the dedication on this book, which is to his wife, and oh, it is sweet. it says, this is for Tabby, who got me into it and then bailed me out of it, which I think is very sweet, and also yeah. uh, probably maybe mirrors later things in their life, too, because this was, like I said, very early in their relationship. So, the, the story, the film seems to take place in... Uh, a a, a one-week period. <laughs> I, I just, I have to ask, have you read the, the book? I have read the book, so, not in a very long time. The book is an epistolary novel. Uh-huh. Uh, like Dracula, right? There, there mm-hmm. was, because I only got the first few chapters of the book. Let's do definitions, too. Uh-huh. Epistolary novel is a novel uh, comprised of other... It, letters. Typically, it's letters. Uh-huh. In a lot of cases, though, it's also like... News article clippings or um, books, and in this case, there are excerpts of books that, of course, are not right. real books, and and newspapers that are not real newspapers. Um, there are also letters, diary entries, things like that. Now, there's also pieces that are not taken from any of those things uh-huh. um, that are direct. That are um, just direct narrative. pieces of the story, right. narrative of the story. Which I'm going to read some of them. Uh-huh. And the whole story is about Carrie White, Carrietta White. Carrietta? Carrietta is her full name. Uh, who we meet at the beginning of the story. She um, starts her period, unbeknownst to her. She did not know what the what a period was uh, in gym class. And we we follow her through prom night, which doesn't go well for anyone. So and how it, old is she supposed to be? She's sixteen. Okay, so she doesn't get her period until she's sixteen. Yep. Okay. That can happen. Well, I, no, I, I, yeah. I believe I was actually sixteen before wow. I got my period in full. Did you have any psychic powers? Uh, not that I'm aware of. All right. I once flipped the light switch off without touching it. Really? That's interesting. sure. <laughs> I I believe that that's what happened. I was eight. Oh, wow. <laughs> so. Um, so that's the the story. And uh, in the movie, it seems to take place over about a two-week period. Is the film particularly faithful to the book? It's pretty faithful. All right. But let's start with Carrie herself. Right. I want to read the description, the opening description of Carrie, because she, she's played by Sissy Spacek, who is sort of like a 
invisible slip of a thing. Uh-huh. This is the description as she is described uh, in the book. And this is um, in the shower, uh-huh. in the girl's shower in the gym. Girls stretched and writhed under the hot water, squalling, flicking water, squirting white bars of soap from hand to hand. Carrie stood among them stolidly, a frog among swans. She was a chunky girl with pimples on her neck and back and buttocks, her wet hair completely without color. It rested against her face with dispirited sogginess, and she simply stood, head slightly bent, letting the water splat against her flesh and roll off. She looked a part of the sacrificial goat, the constant butt, believer in left-handed monkey wrenches, perpetual foul-up, and she was. She wished forlornly and constantly that you and High had individual and thus private showers, like the high schools at Westover or Lewiston. They stared. They always stared. So that's how she's introduced right. in the book. In the movie, there's a very sensual scene of her really getting getting personal with a bar of soap in the shower. Her eyes are closed. Her head is back. Mm-hmm. And she is lathering. And what did you say? <laughs> when we were watching it, you said, you know the thing about this scene that makes it really good is the complete lack of a male gaze. Right. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I was making a lot of smart-ass comments. Yes. Um, and all this scene is, is ma- like, it's the definition um, of male gaze. And, and again, this goes to Brian De Palma. The opening scene of Blowout is almost a parody of Okay, so it, it, Blowout is about a man who records sound effects for low-budget movies. Okay. So it opens with a stalker going through the bushes at a girls' uh, fraternity uh, house. That's called the sorority. Sorority house, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to remember. I've never been to either. That's so. fine. And as he peers through each window, he sees two girls making out. He sees girls undressing. He sees girls masturbating. Oh, it's like that animal house scene. Sex. It's like he sees every configuration of what... Boys fantasize about girls doing when girls are alone. Yeah. Right, and so it. This scene almost reminded me of that. that yeah, it was just it's shot in slow motion. It is. It is shot in slow motion, and the girls are in various states of undress. Uh-huh. Um, now, I have been in a high school girls' changing I never room. have, so you have to I don't me. recall so much just blatant nudity, uh-huh. like just unabashed. Look at my boobs, nudity. Mm. I remember most of us wanting to remain as covered as possible for as long as possible. I might be projecting that onto the other ladies. I don't know. Now, if this was a locker room full of old women at the Y, tits out all day. Right. But but high schoolers haven't gotten to that level of I don't give a fuck yet. There's uh, Yeah, there was this, this long tracking shot, and I can't... One of the issues you always have with the Brian De Palma movie is you can't take away or you discredit the fact that he's a very talented filmmaker. Sure. But, but he also, didn't he invite people? So um, he actually invited Steven Spielberg Gross. and someone else, who I can't remember right now, to see the making of this shower scene because he said, elbow, you know, bump. Uh, hey, there's going to be a lot of There's going to be a lot of cute chicks. naked chicks. This is where Steven Spielberg met Amy Irving, who he later married later in life. And one of those naked chicks, breasts fully on display, was Brian De Palma's girlfriend right, at the was time, Nancy, Nancy Allen. Allen. Who um, 
was a phenomenal actress in his work and in the early 80s, and then he just She's a bitch in she this She is movie. great in this film. Her motivation is com- a complete mystery. It is. She's just a psychopath. Yeah, her job is to... For no reason. She is like... How can I put it? She's like Iago. <laughs> well, where, where you're like, mm. what exactly was his motivation? And he's not going to tell you. He's just like, he's just evil. Jealousy. He right. was jealous. Um, so right at the beginning, mm-hmm. as as Carrie is soaping up, she's cleaning between her legs, as you do. In slow motion. She, yes, well. Uh, I don't think she was in slow motion. I think the film was in slow motion. Well, we're listening to choral voices. And she... Her hand comes away with blood on it, mm-hmm. and she look. This is when she opens her eyes, and I'm like, "What is she feeling?" Like I, you, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> she sees blood on her hands, and she reaches out and asks for help. Uh-huh. And everyone makes fun of her, and they start throwing. They open the pad dispenser on the wall, mm-hmm. just rip it open, and I'm like, "Well, that's one way to get by the quarter cost, I suppose." Just. Just open it up, just barehanded or with the thing open. And they're throwing pads and tampons at her and yelling, plug it up, plug it up, plug it up. Do they charge you for getting tampons in a public school? Hello. It's, it, welcome to being a woman. Well, I, everything I, costs more money than you think it does. Okay, I'm not, I'm on your side. I'm just okay. shocked. I, well, now you can't even find a dispenser. I have quarters, and I'm like, anybody take this quarter for me so that I could buy some sort of hygiene product. I went to a movie theater thinking uh, there's no way they're not going to have some sort of dispenser right. in this several-stall public restaurant. Right. Nope. Okay. I'm surprised, but go ahead. So the... Teacher finally, the gym teacher finally, Miss Collins, the gym teacher Who's finally. Very physical, this woman. Yes, there's a lot of real slapping in this <laughs> film. <laughs> finally, busts her way through the crowd of screaming, cackling ew. teenagers who are good word cackling. I like just that. terrible for no reason, mm-hmm. and they she like calms Carrie down. First she slaps her to sort of get her to stop screaming Um, and then she finally gets her to calm down and kicks everybody else out dressed or not I guess, get out of the uh, room and then she you know, goes and says, well you have to go home for the day. Like you clearly can't be here. There's a a brief scene with her in the principal's office going, I don't think she knows what a period is. Like I don't think she had any idea what was happening. And in the scene, she is smoking a cigarette okay, in now, the principal's office. This is what I liked about that scene. There's a little tiny moment. Mm. Now, Carrie has, to be perfectly frank, was masturbating in the shower at the high school. I don't understand she that. She wasn't masturbating. Well, she was really into this but shower. But it was a little bit... Autoerotic yes. thing. Okay, and so she has blood all over her hands, and when the gym teacher, you know, Xena, the warrior princess... She grabs her hip. Grabs her hip... She grabs a gym teacher and gets blood on her... Shorts. Shorts. Yeah. And so there's a really neat small moment where the principal is just horrified by this menstrual yeah, blood. Yeah, he's just like... There's this scene where he like sort of side-eye looks at the blood stain right. on the gym teachers. And she hasn't even noticed. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. phase her at all. But he's just like, oh, period blood. 
Like he's he doesn't say anything, but the look on his face right, is very much like please keep this that away from right. me. Yeah. Um uh Miss Collins then goes on to uh punish this class of young ladies the next day mm-hmm. or that day maybe. I guess it was after school that same day. She said, I wanted you to be suspended for three days and lose your prom tickets. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was overruled, so now you just have five days of detention. But it's detention with me. That's 50 minutes a day of, you know, burpees. There weren't burpees then. You know, sprints and, wind, you know, crunches and running stairs and doing the whole, like... Very sh- pathetically done exercises. Like, there's no good. consistency. The girls are doing push-ups and falling no. on their faces and running in place. And, uh, and the whole time, Chris, uh-huh. who was played by Nancy Allen, is like, I'm not doing it. And she's like, well, that's fine. You don't uh-huh. have to do it. But if you don't do it, you'll be suspended for three days and you won't get to go to prom. And she's like... And then, like, you know, 40 minutes into day one, Chris is like, I've had it and I'm leaving. There's nothing you can do about it. And she's like, cool, cool, cool. You're not going to prom. And then she tries to get everybody else to, like, walk out with her. Like, if we all just don't do this, then they can't suspend us all. Oh, yeah, they can, actually. (laughs) And all the other girls are like, I'm not fucking giving up prom. I will do push-ups for 50 minutes a day. Like, and also, we were shitty. Right. And (laughs) this is what uh, now the, the friendly girl, the girl that Amy Irving is playing. Sue. Sue Snell, right? Sue Snell. She, she's an interesting character, and we'll talk more about that as it goes on. In the book, I think uh, she's more fleshed out. In this movie, she's pretty blank to me. Well, but what she, her actions, what she does, mm. um, are really interesting because you have the one girl who's just evil, and there's Sue who seems to sense a real. She's done something wrong, and yeah. she sees this as her way of paying for it. Of paying for it, yeah. So. Eventually, we've got two couples mm-hmm. um, that are sort of plotting against Carrie or or for her. Right. We have uh, Chris and Billy, and that is Nancy, the aforementioned Nancy Allen, uh-huh. who does walk out and does get her prom right. revoked, and also gets three days off of school to come up with a terrible, terrible plan. Uh-huh. And she's dating Billy, who is John Travolta, who's a dame slapping guy. He slaps her with the back of his hand. Repeatedly. Don't call me stupid. Although he's obviously dumb as a stunt. So in that previous scene, uh-huh. Miss Collins slaps uh, Chris as right. well. Slaps her hard across the face, which apparently was a real slap. Brian De Palma didn't like the way it looked when it was fake. Uh-huh. So she said, really hit her. And the woman that plays Miss Cooper really hit her repeatedly because they kept not getting a good take. This is Brian De Palma telling an actress to slap his real-life girlfriend repeatedly on film. What? Great guy. So um, there's a a later scene in a car where uh, John Travolta is supposed to slap her as Uh well, and he does this friendly, this sort of... Flick. This flick uh, with the back of his hand onto her face. And from a weird angle, like, there's no way it would have caused any injury because apparently John Travolta was like, I'm not slapping her. Right. No, no. It's weird because I can tell you no and not right. do that. <laughs> so, well, good for him. Um, but they have a real weird There's a thing weird, where yeah. she teases him and then backs off and gets mad when he wants to do more, but then pushes him to do more when he backs off and they have a she weird hits him. Sexual and, dynamic, yeah, yeah, it's 
It's very odd. And I'm just uh-huh. like, mm, I think this woman is a psychopath. And I think Billy is too dumb to realize he's in a bad situation. He's that guy. He's John Garfield in The Postman Always Rings Twice. That dopey guy who winds up with a manipulative woman and then suddenly Maybe. his entire life is ruined and he's on his way to the electric chair going, yeah. how did this happen to me? He's like a film noir character. <laughs> so there's those two. And then there's Sue Snell. Uh-huh. Who general, generally, genuinely has affection for Carrie a little bit. Uh-huh. Feels badly for the way that they've Is treated her. Is it affection or pity, do you think? Mm, might be a little bit of both. Because she doesn't interact with her much. No, in the book she interacts with her okay. a little bit more. Because in the film it's sort of like that's her missionary cause. Yes. And her boyfriend is Tommy, Uh the greatest American hero, William Catt, with the beautiful hair of a Labradoodle. It looks so, so soft. (laughs) Oh, I want to pet his head. Uh, I like William Catt very much. He's got a very silly smile. He's very sweet in this. He's like directed by his girlfriend to go to prom with Carrie. Right. She's just like, I don't care how we look. And she's, and, and. Everyone's like, well, you're not going to look like anything because you're not going to go. <laughs> like, it's going to be how he looks. <laughs> yeah, we should say, you said two couples, but there's a third couple that we haven't really talked about yet. Who's that? Which is Carrie White and her mother. So these are the two couples at school, and this is what's going on with Carrie. So there is, there is Chris and her boyfriend who mm-hmm. hatched this plan that they're going to... It's weird because in the movie, these two plans are running... In a parallel track that rely on each other. Well, uh, Chris's plan relies on Sue's plan. Right. But they're not interacting with no, one another not. to work together to make it happen. So it's unclear how, like, All right, how so Sue's plan. Let me see if I understand correctly what you're saying then, right? Okay. So Sue's plan, um, Sue's plan is to invite, have her boyfriend, since she's not going to go to prom. Mm-hmm. She's going to have her boyfriend in this. Although act of presumably she could, she could go to prom right. because she went right. to the detention and, and asked for fire. I think she is in. She's there, so she, she yeah, but she's wearing right. you know, jeans so or whatever. She's, she's asking just her boyfriend to... to invite Carrie White. Yes. At the same time, um, Chris plot, and Billy. Chris's, Chris's plot is to Chris's plot is to get humiliate her, her to humiliate Carrie at prom on the stage. On, right. Which requires Carrie going. Uh-huh. And being voted prom exactly. queen. Now, they they stuff the ballot box. Uh-huh. Um, but your your point is, how did Chris know that Carrie was going to go to prom? Right, a... because Carrie by herself right. isn't going to prom. Right, and so she's only going to prom because Tommy goads her into going plot, to prom. Once she was at the prom, then the second part of the plot could happen, which is right. dropping a gallon of pig's blood on her head. Several in the book, it's several. Right. It's like several big buckets, right. but that's fine. Yes, but so yeah, her plan mm-hmm. is to humiliate her by when she is mm-hmm. has quote unquote one prom queen. They're gonna drop pig's blood on her. Right. Pig pig's blood for the pig because once again she's a heavier girl. girl. Although in the book it does talk about how she's not like fat, mm-hmm. but she's wider around the waist because she eats to. Feel the pain right. of and loneliness that she feels. That's like legitimately words in the book. Um, but she's like, I could stop eating chocolate. My skin would get better. I could do something with my but hair. I could has. lose weight. But if she does any of that, her mom uh-huh. comes after her, will come after her. So she doesn't do any of that. Uh, but she thinks about like 
making making her own clothes and getting away from her mom and like living an actual real life which doesn't doesn't come to pass so um we have yeah so but but chris's evil plan can't happen without sue's nice plan and they're not working in tandem so it's a weird parallel that where the evil relies on the good to to be able to happen because otherwise we've just got a bucket of pig's blood and right no one to drop it on no one to drop which it is on. terrible when you have a bucket of pig's just blood. a waste um so Carrie this is what's happening with the girls at school mm-hmm. Carrie has gone home early and on her way home she's taunted by a child who she knocks off of a bike by thinking about it who's directly related to Brian De Palma I can't yeah it was it's his son I think yeah um. So she, in the books, it's referred to as flexing. She, like, flexes her mind and yeah. makes things happen. And in the book, she sort of practices it a little bit at a, at a time. Right. But it sort of starts happening on the day that she gets her period. Um, and she yeah, she knocks this kid off her his bike. She doesn't necessarily mean to. She doesn't not mean to, but she doesn't think it's going to well, happen. Well, here it's just sort of cathartic. <laughs> right, where she's like, get, get away, right. and he gets away, right? And she goes home, and then we see her mom is proselytizing in the, in the town. That's, mm-hmm. that's how we are introduced to her. Her mom is played by Piper Laurie. Who we had spent a whole season with in Twin Peaks. Yes. And here she... Let me let me describe her from the book. Once uh, again, it's not a direct correlation right. here. So this is, in the book, she is called home from work, where she works uh-huh. at a, uh, like a laundry. Uh-huh. Mama was a very big woman, and she always wore a hat. Lately, her legs had begun to swell, and her feet always seemed to be on the point of overflowing her shoes. She wore a black cloth coat, with a black fur collar, her eyes were blue and magnified behind rimless bifocals. She always carried a large black satchel purse, and in it was her change purse, her billfold, both black, a large King James Bible, also black, with her name stamped on the front in gold, and a stack of tracts secured with a rubber band. The tracts were usually orange and smearily printed. So... That's the description from the book. Uh, Piper Laurie is not a particularly large woman, but they did dress her all in black. She's not wearing glasses, but her hair is like this wild red mane that she doesn't seem to care or maintain, (laughs) care about or maintain. We do see her having these tracts. She tries to give some to to Sue Snell's mom, who is like, wants to drink to a godless society, and then is like, ooh. And then gives her like $10 for her to go away. So I guess in the book, it's presumed that she, this is how she, she's basically a religious panhandler uh, in the, in the, in the movie she is. In the mm-hmm. book, she, like I said, she works at the, like, um, like an industrial wash laundry place. Right. Uh, and she goes home and her mom's like, well, now you're a woman and sin is upon you. And now we pray. And she puts her in her prayer closet. Which has a real disturbing statue. Uh-huh. It's like a nightlight. The eyes glow. 
Which I don't understand upsetting. at all. That was and really it's weird. not Jesus. It's no. Saint Sebastian. Saint Sebastian of the Arrows. Yes. So he's all stuck through with arrows. Patron saint of porcupines. And she's locked in there uh-huh. and is told to pray. So this is Carrie's life. Uh-huh. Uh, something that's biologically imperative and had nothing to do with any of her behaviors has caused her now to be locked in a closet for a number of hours. With a creepy Saint Sebastian. With a terrifying, glowing-eyed Saint And Sebastian. I like how the after that, she's like, she's let out of the closet, or she comes out of the closet. I'm going to go upstairs, Mom, and pray. I'm like, weren't you just praying in the closet? Was there like, is there a closet prayer, and then there's ordinary prayer? Well, here's the thing. Uh-huh. The only thing you're allowed to do in this house uh-huh. is pray. And, and so, apparently. So... Now, mind um, you, I'd like to state for the record, I have no idea what kind of religion this woman practices. No, it's... It is um, weird. It's very sin-based. Uh, <laughs> sin-forward. Sin, yes, it's sin-forward, <laughs> with sin, with, uh, the sin of intercourse being the worst sin. And there's some. The r- there's a raven involved for worst. some reason. Yes, everything comes from women and how bad they right. are. Yeah, it's, it's a rough go. And... In the book, you're, you read stories of neighbors from as early uh, as when Carrie was like three years old. Right. And it's always been bad. So Carrie's going, still going to school, and the teacher is trying to be like, mm-hmm. you should just put your hair back and stand up straight, and you're really quite pretty, and you don't have to be so frumpy all the time. You look so a mess. And why do you look Carrie like a man? It, would. Yeah, right. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Your worth is low, but it doesn't yes. have to be. If you just smile, if you just you'd be smile. so pretty. And Tommy starts ask, Tommy asks her out. Now, right. um, she had thought that Tommy's poem in, in class. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that scene is rough. Tommy's poem is being read aloud by an English professor who should be fired immediately. <laughs> who's like, it's a good poem. I mean, for a high school boy, it's a good poem. Especially for a, a jock, and that's what he's like. Well, this is right. different than, you know, this ain't basketball and football. And Tommy's like, hey, yeah, like I maybe I'm multifaceted asshole. <laughs> like what the fuck? But he's like, mo- like openly mocking him as he's reading his thing out loud. And then Carrie from the back is like, it's beautiful because, oh, he said, is there any um, criticism? criticism? And Carrie right. says it's beautiful. And so then that's what Tommy's like. Well, I want, you know, I want you to go to prom with me because you thought my poem was beautiful. Right. That's his excuse when he's at, actually, my girlfriend will kick my ass yeah. if I don't go to prom with you. So she says no at first, and she's, uh-huh. she tells the teacher, I said, I know who he goes with. He's got a girlfriend. Like, right. they're definitely doing this to mm-hmm. fuck with me. And I'm like, yeah, I believe, like, she's doing the right, right. thing for herself. This is a dangerous position to put herself in. And then he follows her home, I think, all the way to her house. And right. it's like, I want you to go. And like, harasses her into. <laughs> There's a lot of yeah. questionable behavior in well, this movie. You know. Like a lot of people doing really altruistic. But I love that element of it. I love the fact that he's doing this because his girlfriend's pushing him into it because she feels guilty. That right, and, but he, and he's right, also like a genuinely it really good dude. Feels like something teenagers would do. Yeah, like their plan for making it up is to do something so stupid, so stupid. that's bound like, to fail. But in this case, it's not malicious. No, it's not malicious. Sue doesn't it's just want to stupid. set her up for anything. Right. And Tommy is generally like, well, "Fuck it, if I, I get to go to prom, whatever." Like, I, so I'm like, gonna put on a tux. She's not gonna sleep with me unless I do. This. Unless I do. 
But he also, like, I think genuinely is interested, like, I think he thinks Carrie's pretty. Well, she is, and then he, I really, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that, because I have feelings about those scenes at the prom. Okay, so he, there's a weird scene where they're trying on tuxes. The montage scene. Where looks... all of us, for no, like, this scene is, I guess, character building. Like, uh-huh. see, Tommy's like a good guy. Right. And I'm like, okay. And um, then there's this weird fast-forwarding. Right, for out of nowhere. Like, it just speeds up, like, triple speed. It's like, yeah, like, Brian De Palma's like, for three screw lines? the exposition, I don't want this, let me just move it forward. But it's like three lines. Right. It's not, you could have just cut it. Like, yeah. I don't, why are, what is happening? And it's the only time it happens in the movie. Um, there are weird split screens mm-hmm. and a lot of... Pulled focus. Pulled focus right. things where there's a face right in your, right, right in the front and then some sh- going on in the background that you right. should be looking at. And it's just like, okay, I mean, like, is this experimental? Is that what's happening? Right. So meanwhile, Chris getting madder and... I hate Carrie White. I hate that bitch. Why? Oh, it's unclear. No, she has a moment of telekinesis herself because she apparently is giving a blowjob to her boyfriend while going on about how she's hating Carrie White. Yes, she's talking and her head is in his lap. And I'm like... I'm not sure how this is working on a mechanical level, how this is going on. So, um... And it is a funny scene, but you think that that doesn't work. That scene is so uncomfortable to me because I'm just like, this is abusive and like, Four different ways, and I right. think it's him that's being abused. Right. <laughs> like, she's a wretched person. They end up going to, which I, in, in a scene, like, the shot is really interesting. They go to the um, the slaughterhouse, mm-hmm. which is has a mural on the outside of right. it. So the image of them going into it is really interesting. Um, they get one a bucket. Full of happy pigs, by the way. <laughs> one bucket uh-huh. of pig's blood. That involves them having to murder a pig, just straight up murder a mm-hmm. pig. Um, Which and, seems to sexually excite Chris. Yeah. She's aroused watching her boyfriend She's beat a pig with a sledgehammer. so problematic. Um, and then they, one of their dumb friends in a fucking red hat, I don't uh-huh. know who this dude is, uh, is like, I want to be in charge of the ballots. And they're like, I mean, okay, can you get here at 6.30? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I'll be here at 8. That works for me. And I'm just like, this dude is a fucking dick. <laughs> but I guess, you know, it worked. Because they're going to stuff the ballot box. Right. Now, in the book, I believe it actually only partially works. And the only reason they actually win is because Tommy gets them to vote for themselves. Right. It's That's what puts it over. Okay. Um, I'm also imagining that the book must have a longer period of time to operate in because this feels like if you're describing Carrie as she was in the beginning and she becomes this attractive figure in the book, right? She has her Betty La Fea moment where she becomes more attractive Beautiful. to him. Yeah. Um, I'm imagining that in the book there's a longer period of time. It, the story takes place over a longer period of time. Uh, I'm actually going to look that up. in the film it's just one week. It feels like a week. To make well, she does because Well, you could yeah. make that she could have made that dress in two days. Mm, yeah. Well transition I the mean, dress and physically change herself and the other things the way that it's described in the book. Um, so let's see. In the book um, August nineteenth, nineteen sixty six, a rain of stones is reported. 
that's why I think when she's born. Right. Oh, no. I'm sorry. No, it isn't. Carrie White's mother, Margaret White, gave birth to her daughter on September 21st, 1963. So this was during a a thing that uh, happened when she was three. No, it doesn't say. Mm-hmm. But it isn't very long. It's like two weeks. It's not very long. And the thing is, mm-hmm. if her skin was bad, it's easy to cover up with makeup. She's uh, wearing makeup in the movie. Yeah. You know, she, she, she made the dress herself. I just assumed it was a longer period of time that there was a physical change that happened. No, I don't think that there's a physical change. I think if you take care of yourself a little, I mean, uh-huh. she was not brushing her hair. Right. She was slumped over. She, the The way that she dresses in the in the book specifically, uh-huh. it talks how she's wearing a long skirt, uh-huh. stockings with a garter belt, a girdle, like three uh-huh. shirts. Like she's just totally covered up. Uh-huh. Buckle down, no care taken with her hair, mm-hmm. with no makeup, you know, walking, you know, hunched over. And, you know, a lot of things. Every teen rom-com tells you all you have to do is take off your glasses and you're beautiful. <laughs> so, you know, she took off her glasses and then she was beautiful. <laughs> so Carrie acquiesces to Tommy's mm-hmm. harassment. <laughs> And she says, I'm going to make a dress. She makes, uh, in the book, it's a red velvet gown. In the movie, it is a a lovely soft pink. uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe a charmeuse? I don't even know what that word is. It's like a silky looking um, fabric. A charmeuse is something that lives in the tundra, ladies and gentlemen. No. Fights wolves for survival through the dark, dark. Arctic winters. And uh, once they get to the prom, everybody's like, oh, you look so good. Some of the girls are genuinely like, come sit with us. Uh And Tommy tries to get her to dance, and they do end up dancing. He kisses her, which, okay. I don't know how much Sue signed him up for. That's what I began to feel that at this point in the film, when there's a... I forget the name of the song. Playing in the background, it became a popular song at the time. It wasn't Crimson and Clover, was it? No, that's no, in all thank the things God now. it wasn't that. He seems to be genuinely falling in some kind of infatuation, at least with her. And at one point, John Travolta's character sees her while they're plotting their revenge and says, oh, she sure is cute. Oh, really? Right. So her physical transformation... I think triggers something with him and William Cadden says he's basically played this moment up really well. They're both doing a really good job of him looking like he's looking at her for the first time and her feeling, you know, her own powers as a teenage girl. Was it Lay Lady Lay? No. That they no. were dancing to? No, it's I'll I'll find the song. Um I never dreamed I, Yeah. Someone like you could love someone like me. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they're dancing and she's been like she's I like the way that she actually behaves on this date. Like, mm-hmm. he picks her up, and she's, like, fought with her mom. She's like, I'm going out. And he's, she's like, this is where uh, Adam Sandler's they're all going to laugh at you thing comes from. He's making fun of Piper Laurie in this right. scene. She says, they're all going to laugh at you. They're going to laugh at you. And she, Carrie's like, I'm going to go. And she's she calls her her breasts her dirty pillows, which is, like, uh, like my favorite thing, <laughs> so terrible. 
She's like, they're breasts, mom, and everyone has them. You have them. <laughs> and, uh, but I really like the way that she starts carrying herself at this dance. Like, when they pull up to the front, uh-huh. she's just like, can we take a minute? Right. And Tommy's like, are you scared? And she says, yeah. And he sits there with her. He doesn't, like, automatically, like, he does say, everything's going to be fine. They're just kids. Mm-hmm. It won't be that bad. But he, like, lets them sit there together, and she advocates for herself. She's nervous, but she goes in. And like I said, his friends are like, you look so beautiful. Where did you get that dress? And she says, I made it. And she's like, I made it, like, which is super impressive. And I think they legitimately do like the dress. It's a beautiful dress. She did a good job. Uh, it doesn't look homemade. Uh, and Well, her mother's a seamstress, right? Yeah. Okay, because there's a dress dummy that we're saying it's probably the only um, the only figure, non-religious figure in the entire in the house. the entire house, yeah. Although if, if you told me that it had stigmata, I would believe you. Um, Speaking of stigmata, there's lots yeah, of well, blood in this movie. Yes, there's a lot of blood in this. Well, that's what the whole movie is about, the power of the blood. And they dance Mm -hmm. and it's nice and he kisses her and I think that's like a legitimate, like he wanted to kiss her. Right. It wasn't like Sue gave me an extra five dollars to kiss her or whatever because she's very sweet and they're sitting there and they're going to vote and she's like, well, who should we vote for for prom king? King? These are more your, you know, more people, your crowd than my crowd. And she's, he's like, well, let's vote for ourselves. And she's like, no. He's like, why not? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they do. They vote for themselves. And then, because it's rigged, uh-huh. um, they win. And so they go up on stage, and she's so happy. And people are legitimately, like, and this is, cheering for her. This is where I want to shut the movie off. I'm yeah, like, and you're like, I want it to end here. The, the end. end. And there's a credit at the end. Um, and Tommy kisses her uh-huh. on the stage in front of everybody. Right. Uh, not like... This is not a, a big romantic kiss. kiss it's at just the a, it's right. it's just a it's a peck like mm-hmm. a, and uh, and then and Sue's looking in. Actually, Sue has made an appearance, but she's not like dressed for prom. She's mm-hmm. just checking to make sure that her boyfriend is doing what she told him to do. I guess I don't know. Are you following orders? And she looks happy, and she's like, and then she sees this rope, mm-hmm. and she follows it up her eye, and she sees a bucket. And then she follows it around and she looks and she sees under the stage and she sees, I don't know if she sees Chris or Billy, uh-huh. but they're both under there. Both. I'm not sure. And she tries to go for that part of the stage uh-huh. to like stop them or get the thing away from them, at which point the gym teacher sees her gym and teacher. is like, you're not supposed to be here. And she drags her to the door and pushes her outside, so in the remake, saving her life. She's going to be played by Steven Seagal, I think. <laughs> it's just like her job is just to slap people around just, and shove them in. It's crazy. Yeah. And she, slows, she, she closes the door on Sue, mm-hmm. and that's when the blood falls and drenches Carrie. And what is it PJ Souls that does it? Who points uh-huh. legitimately someone points and laughs, which no one has ever done. Right. I'm sorry, but I don't believe that laughter would be what now, happened. There's something that happens in this scene, which is 
we're cut back and forth between the genuine horror of what people are saying in the audience, including some and people what she's who befriended Carrie over yeah. the course of the night. Yeah. And then we see her point of view, and the same people are laughing at her, mm-hmm. and there's this prismatic effect. That, that, yeah. I think that one of them legitimately does point and laugh, which right. is a But, but it's, it's a not the same people. She's seeing everyone laughing, yeah. and we're, we see... Some people laughing and some people just yeah. horrified. And Tommy's like, what the fuck is going on? Uh-huh. And then the pail, which in the book is still like half full, uh-huh. falls and hits him on the head. And that's right. how, and he is knocked unconscious and then he dies right. in the fire that happens. Um, but he's already dead by the time the fire comes. So Tommy's is our first casualty. casualty, followed by fucking everyone else. She's just like, oh. Okay, well, I guess now everyone has to die. Lock the door, lock the door, lock the door, lock the door, light all this shit on fire. Right. <laughs> like, she just, I Teachers guess. Teachers are electrocuted. The, the, the gym teacher go, goes out in a particular, like, Dario Argento mm-hmm. kind of nastiness. Yes, this big frame uh, falls from the ceiling and, like. Possibly bisects her, yeah. is what it looks like. It's, it's not good. Um,. She locked. She's locked mm. all the doors, and we're seeing this in split screen, right. where she's standing on the stage. Her eyes are very big. I don't think she blinks for the rest of the film. No, no, she might. I not. think she's done blinking, uh, and the electricity is popping off, and people are stampeding, but they can't get out. Fire, fire, fire. Right. Fire. Electricity. Remember, the teacher uh, principal is electrocuted as well as the teacher, mm-hmm. and then everything lights up. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how she got out. She opens the door for herself. She just opens the door, walks out, and, and then she staggers out herself. very kind of zombie-like. She's yes, catatonic at this point. At this point, yeah, not blinking, covered in blood, covered she's, in blood, right? And she's she walks home. Mm-hmm. And in the book, when she walks home, she's sending out this sort of wave that like Carrie is Carrie White is doing this. Mm-hmm. Like even if you don't know who Carrie White is, this is the thought that you're having, and she right. blows up. Everything that can be blown up on the way. There's gas stations that mm-hmm. go. There's just the whole fucking... She's like, I'm done. Right. <laughs> this town can go fuck itself. And she just is lighting up on the way. In this, the only... On her way, we see Chris and Billy have gotten out... Got out of the... Before the, the gym, place right. went up. They got out of the gym, so they're driving. And Chris is behind the wheel. It sees Carrie walking down the street... And accelerates to strike her with her vehicle. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris doesn't know what's gone on at the gym. Right. This is just a psychotic teenage girl who's about to just straight up murder this other yeah. g- teenage girl. But no, she isn't. <laughs> because Carrie is like, uh, beep, beep, and then flips the car. And then it flips and it flips and it flips and it flips and then it goes kaboom. No more Chris and Billy. The world is probably better off without Chris, I'm well, going to say. I think, well, there's a lot of, of victims who've been saved. because yes, Chris... Is a, is a piece of work, this one. The hate that she had for this girl who did nothing to uh-huh. her, and the vindictiveness and evil mm-hmm. that she was willing to go to, right. and then, like I said, just straight murder this girl that she doesn't know just killed a whole bunch of people. Uh-huh. She just hates Carrie White and now wants to hate her with a car. Like, that's not right. normal behavior. Uh, and then Carrie goes home. And she can't find her mom. She goes upstairs and she takes a bath. 
She washes all of the the blood off of her body in the bath. Yuck. And she cries, and then she gets out of the bath, and she puts her nightgown on. And then her mom comes out, also wearing a nightgown. And she tells her, I no, should have killed you when you were born. Oh, that's true. Mom is not very... Yeah, no. She says, the devil is in you. I should have killed you when you were born. Your father got drunk and raped me, and I liked it. And the only time they ever had marital sex, apparently. <sighs> uh, but you're evil, and now I have to kill you. And she stabs her. Mm-hmm. At which point, Carrie then six all of the kitchen utensils on Daryl Mom. And much like St. Sebastian in that prayer closet, right. she is basically crucified, hands out uh-huh. against door frames and impaled. Right. And then... By flying knives. Various knives and, you know, offset spatulas <laughs> and other such things are then impaled on her body. And then the house uh, can't take it, I guess. The house does a real poltergeist thing where it sort of... Like sinks. Implodes on itself for no apparent reason other than the fact that Carrie is like... I think she can no longer control her power. Yeah, no, it's it's too much. And she's been... In the book, at least, she's fatally wounded. Uh Her mom, like sinks the knife so far into her shoulder that it, like, pierces her heart. Well, here it's in her back, yes? Yeah. So it's like her kidneys or her liver or something. It's not going to be good, no matter That's not how Mom dies in the in book. In the book. How does she die in the book? In the book, Carrie talks to her uh-huh. and says, I'm going to give you a present. Uh, I'm going to picture your heart, and it's going to go slower uh-huh. and slower, and then it's going to stop. And she stops her mom's heart with her mind. Oh, wow. Uh, after her mother has also similarly stabbed Stand her. Okay. So, and then, yeah. So, and then the movie, the house just implodes and becomes a perfect pile of rubble. Although that's in a dream, so maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Are you going to spoil the dream sequence? Oh, yeah. yeah I All definitely right. am. So, yeah, she's... Uh, she like drags her mom into the prayer closet uh-huh. and then the house just falls on top of them. And then they're dead. Together. Yay. <laughs> and Sue Snell has lived. Uh-huh. She's sleeping a lot, She's her the mom only survivor says. Of the high She's school, basically right? the only survivor. Tommy's yeah. dead. Billy and Chris are dead. The PJ Souls character wearing the red hat, dead. Edie McClurg, dead. All the teachers and principal, dead. Mm. Dead. And uh, then the last scene, which is not in the book, Sue is dreaming, and she goes to what is, I guess, where the house used to right. stand, which, which is, is this perfectly rectangular pile of, of gravel. Gravel, but yeah. like, it looks like big cocoa puffs. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't have... Like it, it looked, it's like perfectly round stones that are all brown uh-huh. and they're all even. And then there's a for sale sign in the middle of it. But then graffitied across it is Carrie White Burns in Hell, <laughs> mimicking the Carrie White, Carrie White right. it's Eats Shit from earlier, which that's some fucked up graffiti. Like, why? why? Um, 
and she's there to put flowers on Carrie's grave. Carrie's grave, which is not what this is, because this is a well, for sale sign. Well, I don't know if anybody sign. bothered to go digging through it well, to find Well, there's that. no way that's what the rubble looked like. Okay. <laughs> and then Carrie's hand reaches up out of the out okay. of the rubble and grabs her arm. Uh-huh. And then she wakes up screaming. Now, that was not... Stephen King didn't know that was going to happen, and apparently in the theater when he saw the premiere, it scared the shit out of him. Because this is before the the next thing that the people, I think people think that that started mm-hmm. with Jason right. coming back in the fr- first Friday the 13th movie. Mm, this is yeah. four years before that happens. So it was a, it was a complete surprise to audiences, and there's very a, upsetting to them. There's a moment when you're watching... Um, there's a really good suspense film with Audrey Hepburn and Richard Crenna and Alan Arkin, Wait Until Dark. Where Is it Wait Until Dark? I was going to say. A blind woman. So good. And there's a scene where you think the villain has been dispatched and then he isn't. Oh. And then the screen goes black because it takes place in an apartment and you know that she has the advantage of being blind and knows where everything is yes. and he doesn't. But all you hear are the voices of the people in the dark. Mm-hmm. This is the first time anybody did that. The unfortunate part is that tricks like that are played all the time now. But apparently the audiences who first saw this were scared pissless. You know? because yeah. <laughs> That movie scares me now. Right. But that was a that moment is priceless. And I can imagine what it must have been like. It's a fact of watching it on television. I can't imagine being in a dark theater and seeing the screen go black. Yeah. And just hearing the voices of people screaming, which is what you hear from the screen. What you hear, yeah. And then, so it's the, the sad part is when a trick is so well done. When they pull one on you, and It'll then do it, it just they'll do it again, and now it's repeated not. ad infinitum. Yeah. You know, the first time I saw, oh, the you know, the other Tom Tyron's movie, about the evil twin, and it turns out the killer is in his mind. That was it. Just sort of took out the the, the ground from under you. Mm-hmm. It's now done all, all the, the time, time, so that's just another trope. Yeah, and it ruins the effectiveness of this. Really yeah, and movie. there have been movies where I stopped watching them because I was like, oh, one of these people isn't here. Right. Exactly. And I won't, like, especially if I'm watching with somebody else, I'll just mm-hmm. be like, I'm not going to finish this. Let's right. talk when you're done with it. And I'll be like, was so-and-so fake? Right. <laughs> like, in somebody's I, head. I've been with and you when we been, pulled yeah. out of a movie just going, I know where this is going, and it's yeah. ridiculous. Because... And it's not right. interesting for me to watch it get there. Yeah. So. Uh, but, um, so overall, what did you think of it? Overall, it's very good. Mm-hmm. This is one of the uh, rare uh, horror movies that got, Academy Award nominations. Uh-huh. Uh, both Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie were nominated. Uh-huh. Neither they do, one. They deserve to be. Uh, yeah, I think Sissy Spacek is very uh-huh. good in this. Uh, I don't love a lot of the direction right. of it. Like, I think this would be better, and I don't know if one of the other versions that we're going to talk about eventually was directed by a woman. Uh-huh. But I kind I of feel like it would benefit from that. Now, it's based on a story, obviously, written by a man mm-hmm. about a woman who, or a girl who gets her period, gets magical powers, and then kills everyone. So, without any context, that seems mildly problematic. <laughs> now, so yeah, so I think a woman's hand could sort of temper that a little bit Mm -hmm. because it does a little bit feel like bitches be crazy when they get their period. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at this film and the thing is this is a very young Brian De Palma and he never got over it though. 
he does a lot of tricks with homage to other films. Mm-hmm. Um, every time, well, every time, in the, not every time, early in the film when she begins using her powers, he does the psycho cue. The mm-hmm. stabbing, vi- uh, so there that's is his that cutest psycho. Wee, wee. He uses a lot of pulled focus in it, yeah. so that he's doing his homage to Orson Welles. Oh, is that what that, that is? Citizen okay. Um, but he also is, like a lot of young directors at the time, was really exploring the technology, and it doesn't work all the time. The split screens that he keeps pulling, particularly during the scene where the the um, where Carrie goes on her psychic assault of the gym, the split screen actually kind of diffuses it for me. Because you don't know where to look. But mm-hmm. this, again, was something new. Or the prism lens when she sees everyone laughing at her. Um, and some of those tricks don't work for a modern audience. They're too distracting because you're following the story, you're following the story. And then he distracts you or he does something that disrupts the storyline just for the sake of being really fancy. Yeah. You know? um, and so that, t- or even the sped up footage in that one scene, like that. For what? It just takes <laughs> yeah. you out. The first time I saw that, I was watching it on a, a, a VHS, and I thought the tape had caught in the machine. Oh, yeah. And no, I kept rewinding right. it going, did I did this did I, wrong? Yeah, did right. that? But just like, no, that's just, for some reason, this was this weird directorial choice that he made, or directorial choice. Um, and there's also a lot of stuff that's going to date it for audiences watching it now. Some of the music is just awful. Um the the montage scenes of the girls getting dressed and everything is accompanied by such 70s kind of... It does. It felt a little bit like a softcore porn. Right. Oh, well, there's like, lots of points in this film where I feel like I'm watching a softcore porn, soft porn, especially the opening scenes. Yeah, the opening scene and that scene with them, uh, Chris and Billy in the car. Right. I, that that relationship. That's the other thing is the the female... The, the women characters in here are varied, mm-hmm. but also... If you ask me why any of them behave the way that they do, I probably could. I could tell you Carrie was abused. That is why she behaves the way that she does. Carrie and her mother are the only ones where I really was clear on what was going on. But where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. Like, what happened to her mom that made this the way that she is? Well, How was, you know she, was she raised in a cult? Well, you know what happened to her mom. She obviously had some sort of fanatical upbringing. And right, then, but we don't see it. We don't see it. We know that she's already a fanatic by the time she's married because she's refusing to sleep with her husband. Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, so yeah. some sort of where that comes from and what it was, like, even if a cult had been mentioned because it feels uh, like a cult right. to me. Um, well, because she's but quoting Chris, things that are not from the scripture and giving yeah, them no. weight. So, yeah. yeah. Chris the Ravens, has no motivation at all other uh, than just being a psychotic bitch. Right. Now, do you, it was, and again, I want to try to, in some ways, stick to the film, just saying the film itself is a different thing from the book. Mm-hmm. But the problem is there are these sort of missing things, like you mentioned the two parallel uh, paths uh, between the two. Uh, but between Sue, and, right, Sue, and, Sue and, Chris, and Chris, yeah. That could possibly be explained over the course of a book, where here it's just like, it's this weird coincidence. Right, it's this weird coincidence plans. where they don't uh-huh. seem to be communicating right. at, with each other. Like in the book, yeah, does Chris overhear Sue telling Tommy that they want to do this? Uh-huh. But in the movie, the, the Sue and Tommy stuff, or yeah, the Sue and Tommy stuff happen 100% distinctly from the Chris and Billy stuff. Yeah. But the Chris and Billy stuff rely it's entirely on, on the this, Sue and Tommy right. stuff. So I don't know. And but like and I'm reading uh, that um, some of the things that were 
scripted weren't filmed due to budget constraints, and well, I'm wondering. Give them if very much money to start this. It was, was one point eight million dollar budget. What's very funny is that the film that Brian De Palma made right after this, The Fury, yeah. features some of the same cast, and mm-hmm. suddenly was a much more expensive horror film. And there are scenes. Well, because this one did very right. well. There are scenes in that film that you mentioned from the book that suddenly appear in this other movie. Oh, interesting. And it's about a government agency kidnapping a kid who has psychic powers, which is a, something you see in a lot of. Well, we're going to be Stephen talking King about things. something very similar it's to like that. It's like Firestarter. Firestarter, right? yeah. And so I remember showing that film to Stephanie, our uh-huh. other housemate, uh, years ago. And she did. She said, like, this is weird. It's like a Stephen King adaptation that was made without a novel because mm-hmm. it has all the same elements, the secret government agencies, uh, the shady characters, the uh, weird sanguinary methods, because every time these psychics operate, they actually draw blood from people around them. Oh, interesting. People just start having nosebleeds or eye bleeds. Oh, or, interesting. And Amy uh, Irving is the lead in that film. Interesting. Okay. So, and the scene that you described about, um, there's a scene of Andrew Stevens, who's one of the psychic twins in this film, so to speak, walking down a midway and putting out lights and everything as he's walking along. Yes. And this is something that obviously Brian De Palma mm-hmm. wanted to do, but didn't have the budget didn't for Didn't have the budget for carry. And so he's like, okay, now that I have the money, I'm going to go nuts and do this. Yeah. Um, but what he was able to do in this film, I think the art direction was really good. Carrie White's house is hideous. It's so upsetting. And when she right. comes back after the prom and it's just lit up with candles. Right. A, she's been setting fires all night. So right. there's something interesting to her walking into this place that's ablaze. Yeah. Um. And I'm like, and she's looking for her mom, and her mom's not there. I'm like, mom didn't leave with that many candles burning. Right. That doesn't seem right. But that house also has every chintzy, tasteless religious artifact you mm-hmm. can think of. Yeah. It, none of it is tasteful. None of it is beautiful. It's just a sort of vulgar, cheap, you know, Last Supper thing. And there's some very funny scenes in the movie. Um that are paralleling her fanaticism and what's happening to her daughter. Like, one of the opening scenes of the film is is uh, Carrie's mom, whose name just escaped me right Margaret now. Margaret White. Margaret, playing Are You Washed in the Blood? And yeah. through the course of the movie, Carrie is washed in the blood constantly. Constantly. Not her the blood, blood, of the, land, the, blood of the pig. Right. It's just, there's a lot of that. Yeah. There's um, the parallel between uh, Margaret's admittedly orgasmic death by penetration yeah she's definitely coming right <laughs> and saint sebastian in the closet um there's a lot of stuff like that there's a lot of visual puns you see um carrie and her mom have dinner at a dinner table and there's a banner of the last supper behind them which is a very upsetting just right. like it looks like mm. the famous one right but off yeah and there's there's the, what they, he does is that he makes all these religious figures that are generally very comforting look really sinister. Yeah. With glowing eyes and weird yeah, that, haggard the faces. The glowing eyes on the St. Sebastian figure just it's, are these weird right. oversized... It's very upsetting. And, then, <laughs> and there's, a, there's an interesting moment, too, earlier in the film, and this speaks to the performances. I understand everyone's good in this movie, even PJ Souls, who we saw in uh, Halloween, right? Right. She was the tardy girl in Halloween. Right, also. wearing a red hat. Wearing right? a red hat. She always wears a red hat. And I was mentioning to you at the time, it's like she'd very, be very confusing to a modern audience because she's wearing almost like a MAGA hat with a rainbow on the side of it. It's like, you know, right. she, she's Wait. going for all the teams. But, um, but everyone's really good. But I have to say that the scenes with Sissy Spacek. And Lord, Piper Laurie, 
Yeah. Who Piper Laurie is an amazing and underused actress. Their scenes together are so emotional and weighty, and the way they. God, they really... It, it was a case of yeah. watching and two the, generations of really good actors just yeah. letting it go. And the way that Sissy Sta- Basic yells mama, uh-huh. the, the myriad of ways right. that she just says that one yeah. word through this whole movie is like that tells a whole story. Uh-huh. The frustration she has, the sadness she has, the longing she has, yeah. like... Like at the end, just hold. She just wants her mom to hold her. She her had a fucking bad right. night, and her mom's like, "Okay, I mean, I will, but I'm definitely gonna plunge this knife <laughs> into your back too." Well, so, and also, uh, Margaret is so filled with this kind of, and Piper Laurie is. It's great what she's doing. This sort of far off, almost evangelical fury, almost as if she's preaching throughout the entire yeah. film. Yep, yep, yep. And she's uh, dressed in white, which reminds me of Amy Semple McPherson, the, the famous... Uh, oh, at the end she is. Yeah, she's wearing, like, a evangelist. White and she's sort of like giving this constant speech. And I think there are moments when it seems like that breaks. And she honestly is being a mom. Like the scene where... Well, that's carries, the thing. That's uh, important because right. um, she talks about how I was going to kill you. Yeah. As soon as you were born, I was going to kill you, but I was weak and you're my baby. Well, the, So there is a little bit of that. Right before she goes to the prom. Yeah. Yeah. Where she genuinely seems to be hand-wringing that they're going to humiliate her daughter. Yep. And it's Don't not go. Done, Take off the right. dress. We'll burn it together. We'll pray. Right. And it'll be fine. And that scene is really affecting because you can see, like, for a moment, this the actual urge to be a protective mother is breaking through. But then at the same time, she's doing it in this horribly manipulative, right. self-flagellating Right, but way. she starts saying, he's not going to show up. He's not going to show up. Yeah. Almost like he's actually, he's actually worried for humiliation of her daughter. And then, as he said, that final scene where she's just like, Mama, they laughed at me. and Yeah, and just hold me. Like, right. just... It is really heartbreaking. Yeah. These two are amazing. I, 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 Hence the reason they were both nominated right, for I Academy can't Awards. I who, who gave a better performance than either one of them. Let me find out. I mean, it doesn't even matter. I, this would have been my choice, these two. But yeah, in some Faye respects... Faye Dunaway and Network. I don't know. That's a Beat good one. Beat Sissy Spacek. That's a good one. And, and I think Beatrice that might have been... straight in network. <laughs> Beat Piper Laurie. Okay, that was a really fucking good year. <laughs> I'm not, not going to lie. That was actually also pretty... up against Piper Laurie, mm-hmm. Jodie Foster and Taxi Driver. Oh, sweet. Jane Alexander and All the President's Men. And Lee Grant in Voyage of the Damned. Okay, so that was a really good year. Yeah. That was a good year for women, too, because those, those Best are Best actress old. was Faye Dunaway, Marie uh-huh. Christine Baralt from Cousin Cousine, uh-huh. Talia Shire from Rocky, and Liv Ullman Face to Face. Which I don't remember that. I don't know those. I've seen the others. So. Well, there we go. That was a good year. But yeah. I but yeah, networking all the president's men really <laughs> so. that year. It's really like a almost an even split between yeah. what one what. I'm like, dit, 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 yeah. Dit. But if nothing else, just watch this film for those performances. There's going to be some elements of the movie that probably will not hold up for modern audience. No, even. but wait, because in like six months we're going to talk about another version of right. this, and then later after that we're going to talk about another, another version, version of, of this. So yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it, it. I really. I hadn't seen it in a very long time. 
Um, but I just, I got more out of it this time watching it. Appreciating just little things about the film, and particularly the performances. I think that too much of the story was cut out so that a lot of, as we've talked about, their motivations were mysterious. Yeah, it, yeah the, the girls acted in very distinct ways, mm-hmm. but yeah, their motivations were less than clear. And that double plot, yeah, is is a tricky. Like how did how did they even know this was yeah. going on? How could they plan in, in tandem? Yeah, because this? like I said, Carrie by herself is not going to that prom. Right. You need somebody to get her into that prom, and none of Chris's accomplices were going to get that job done. She was only going to go with Tommy. Like, let's be real. That yeah, labradoodle yeah. hair. Come on. Labradoodle hair. I love William Cat. He's the greatest American hero. Yeah. Believe it or not. I'm sorry. I love okay. that song. I love that show. I really liked it. When land. I was a kid, it was Connie Selica who was beautiful. I was going to say, who was the woman in it? It was Connie Selica. I, knew, I remember Robert Culp. Robert Culp, who is, to this day, one of my favorite actors. He is like one of... He's a great... He does something that... And this is going to sound weird. That I've only seen William Shatner be able to do, which is pull off very masculine but very brittle and almost hysterical at times. And that's something you saw with Robert Culp's character. He could do a really great kind of, you know, uh, uh, he's acting at this pitch where he's just sort of fragile but at the same time very tough. And that performance, The Greatest American Hero, also was really great. He was very, very funny. Really funny. He even directed some episodes there, I think. Doesn't surprise me. All right. Do you have anything to recommend this week? Um, I don't have something to recommend from this week. However, um, tomorrow I'm going with my bestie to go watch... By the time this is out, we will have seen it, along with 98% of the population. Right, so we're trying to sneak in. I... I feel bad because... No spoilers. There have been two spoilers now that I've gotten Ugh. from completely random sources in the media. I am legitimately afraid of the internet right. for the so next I now am, I'm really angry at both YouTube and Tumblr because I, I thought, well, YouTube spoiled something for me the very first day, a significant thing, and so I've been avoiding it, and I went to Tumblr, and then somebody spoiled something there, another significant thing, a scene I would have liked to have had. So I'm just... I. I'm pissed, but... I have remained spoiler-free. Knock, 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 knock. Right. We're going to see Endgame tomorrow. Yes. Avengers Endgame, that is. And it's going to be a good summer, I think. There's going to be Endgame. You're There's just looking John forward Rick to John Wick 3, and I'm oh, going yeah. to see Godzilla, and I have been looking forward to that movie for a very long time. Happy May. Ooh, also, you know what? What? Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Yes, is it my birthday? Your birthday is happening between right now and right. the time that this episode comes out. So, yes, Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. I won't say how many how many you are. It's a significant time. It's a, it's it's a, a big, big deal. Right. It's a big one. And I'm old. No, I'm not. Not old. Older than old, me? Older, yes. <laughs> older. Not as old as the pyramids or the dinosaurs or... There are but, no dinosaurs. They're, they're all new. They're zero. I don't know if I'm gonna. Yeah, is there something that you've seen or that you? Um, I'm gonna recommend a Netflix show okay. that I've only watched the first episode of, but um, I really am enjoying it, and I think it's important. 
Uh, it's called Special. Uh-huh. It is about a gay man with cerebral palsy, oh. written uh, and but that's starring like just, a gay you just said man that, with cerebral it's palsy. Like, oh, <laughs> like, no, I no, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like, oh, that would make me cry. Right? No, it's I don't think it. I, well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> right. but it's, it's very good. It's a comedy right. series. Oh, it's a comedy. You didn't it's tell me. It's a comedy that, series but... written by a gay man with cerebral palsy. Okay, and. Uh, yeah, more stories by people who we don't see all the time. I, I like that. I like uh, seeing stories. And people. so that show's called Special. It's uh-huh. on Netflix. Like I said, I've only seen the first episode. Um, I've seen from several people who I trust that the rest of it is good, so I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it. Um, but non-mainstream How'd stuff How did you find out about too. it? Uh, Netflix. Okay. And oh. also Pop Culture Happy Hour, maybe? All right. Yeah, I was just wondering uh, how you got it. Or I saw... Uh, probably a podcast. Ninety-eight percent of the stuff I am aware of is because of a podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's what I'm going to say. So next week uh-huh. we're watching Salem's Lot. Okay. The 1979 miniseries. It is available on Amazon Prime. I think we have to pay two dollars and ninety-nine cents for it. You know, it would be worth it. That film was a big part of my childhood, and I never got to see it. It's a mini-series. We're going to watch all of it, though, because I believe the full running time is like three hours and three minutes long, which Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure is uh, as long as The Avengers. So we're going to watch the whole thing. I have never read the story or Uh the book, and I have never seen the movie. So I'm going in blind. I have more of a I know what it's about. That was also a book that was read to me. Um, And it was, it premiered originally while I was, now from where we live, we're living in my childhood home. Across the street is my childhood elementary school. Manzanita. And so um, during lunch lines, everyone would stand in line for lunch, and then they call you in according to class. Uh, all the kids were talking about how this scared the hell out of them. Oh, interesting. And, and you were so not allowed to watch I it. I was not allowed to watch <laughs> it. So for years, I was like, I really want to see that, because all the kids were like, that's the scariest thing I ever saw. And I felt like I'd seen it because they had gone over the scenes so often, like the scene with the oh. kid at the window. And and uh, and what was really great is when I finally saw the movie, it did not disappoint me, as it can quite frequently happen when you imagine scenes from a film. And I think it's because I saw it older and I was able to appreciate how really good James Mason I'm looking forward to James are. Mason, as everyone who is knows who Eddie is, Eddie Izzard stuff, mm-hmm. that's the voice of God. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. A little bit lower in this movie, but yes, <laughs> he's very authoritative. So uh, Salem's Lot next week, 1979's, uh-huh. not 2004's. That's okay. later. Rob Lowe isn't in this one. Okay. Uh, is that everything? That's everything. All right. Well, we thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, you can reach us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or Gmail. On- or on Twitter at mm-hmm. LatecomersPod. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Latecomers Podcast. You can look for us there and find us and say hi. I'm going to be hosting things, all sorts of random things. Stephen King things. King things. I'm very excited. I like this. This is fun. Uh, we love you very much. We thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to hear us, more of us, talking about something very different, a very different style. Now for something completely different. We have another podcast. It's called Without Works. Uh, It's also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all of the good things uh, at Without Works Pod, uh, Without Works Podcast, or Without Works Pod 
at gmail.com. Uh, but anyways, look for Without Works on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Podcatcher. Uh, or look for us, and we have links all over our stuff. Everywhere. So that comes out on Sundays and should be out next Sunday, this coming Sunday, rather. Uh, we thank you very much. We love you. I remind you to take your medicine and remember... Better late than never. never. Now I gotta stop it. Okay.